The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, welcome to Monday. And I just, I got to tell you this story real quick uh, because it's, it's funny that it happened. It's apropos that it happened on Friday after we talked about it, what, Tuesday or Wednesday? We had a fun chat about sleeping in. So Friday, I had uh, dinner scheduled with some friends at uh, Tommy's on Corden at 6.30. But, uh, of course, Friday, I always go to the pub after the show. And uh, Gabby was there from Global News Morning. Greg, you were there. And because my birthday was a couple days earlier, you guys got me uh, some drinks, which I very much enjoyed. But I usually don't do shots. And uh, I got to try the Cabo Wabo tequila. Very nice, Greg. Thank you for that. Well, uh, I think you're welcome. <laughs> no, it was a great time. Based, based <laughs> on what you're about to share with everyone, I'm not certain that I'm I'm very proud of oh, introducing no. you to my favorite uh, aperitif. You didn't force it down his throat, I don't think. I'm pretty sure. No, there's no complaint. Sure that drink went down there willingly. I did not have to plug his nose, Loren. <laughs> it was uh, it was delightful, but. I did have a bit of a wobbly walk home, I'll add that, and uh, and then I got home, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock, set my alarm on my phone, plugged my phone in, took a nap, and promptly slept until 7 p.m., which means I slept in because my phone died because the, my stupid charger is malfunctioning and uh, didn't. my phone died in the meantime. So my friends thought I was dead. They were texting you, Greg, to find out what was going on. <laughs> I know at least one person's phone wasn't dead. <laughs> that was your buddy Steve who was texting me wondering where the heck you were, and I, I, I got worried. And then, of course, I started texting you myself, and... Ay, ay, ay. And then I, I started back tracking and, and following the steps that I thought you might have taken and texted some other people. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a full scale emergency. <laughs> so, anyway, that was a fun way to start the weekend. But what a wonderful weekend, Loren, in terms of weather. Couldn't get better. I was out in western Manitoba and Brandon, then Minnesota. The leaves are gorgeous. The weather was amazing. We were out Saturday night. With friends, a little potluck and everyone bringing their own appetizers and wings and all that kind of thing. And it was, you know, 11 p.m. and we kept saying, I cannot believe how warm it is out here right now. And then yesterday, my only regret of yesterday is that I spent too much of the afternoon driving back in the car on such a gorgeous day. But otherwise, man, zero complaints. I hope there's a bit more of that left because that's a nice way to uh, close out September. This is why you need a convertible. First and foremost. <laughs> Man, we drove past a guy yesterday who was in the Ferris Bueller car. You know, like the red. Oh, wow. Uh, you know what I'm talking Are you about? Sure? Well, I don't know, but it looked we, the, right away. We all, well, my husband and I, my kids had no idea what a Ferris Bueller car meant. But we yelled out, that looks like the Ferris Bueller car. Oh, my word. And then we slow drove past them. And he, he this, you know, this guy and his wife were in the car and we're like, that's the coolest couple ever. So cool today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 1961 Ferrari 250 oh, GT California sh- Spider. I don't think it was a Ferrari, but it looked just like it. It was amazing. Cool. You're right. I do need that in my life for just for those three days a year where it works. Telling you, it's worth it. It's worth having it in your life. It's worth having it take up space in your in your garage day <laughs> after day, night after night, winter after winter, just for that every once in a while when you get to break it out. Although I wouldn't know anything about that in the last decade or so. That's another conversation. Here's the one thing, uh, and I'm certainly not complaining about the weather, but uh, I am kind of dreading 
how hot it's going to get in my apartment because they shut down the air conditioning. Oh, you were worried about that. They had to make the call. Like, and it, it's got to be awkward for uh, for apartment complexes or condo complexes that who, uh, if you don't have individual control necessarily sure. uh, in per, in each suite, because they got to decide at some point. Like, hey, it's getting cold, pretty cold at night. Um, so they made the call a few days before, I guess it was like last Monday I got the note that they were shutting it down on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and then the forecast turned uh, dramatically. So they're probably beating their heads against the wall. So uh, it's going to be 30 degrees outside tomorrow, which means it'll probably be 30 degrees in my apartment. I encourage all apartment owners to shut off their air conditioning this week. So we may have a similar forecast next week as we have this week. If there's any influence involved there, uh, please get on that because, my goodness, what a wonderful end to September we are going to have this week. We will bring you the forecast over and over again, and it will not be a chore in any way, shape, or form. Certainly a nice day, Lorenda, stand in line outside Canada Life Centre yesterday. Could have been worse. I, I wasn't like, I, you know, when they warned, you know, you're, we're going to have to check your QR codes and we're going to have to do all these different things going to the Jets game last night. So if you're coming, get there early. Our colleague Scott Duarte posted, you know, about an hour before game time lineups wrapping around the block around Donald and Portage. And so, yeah, it took a it took a little bit longer to get in the game last night for sure, in part because, of course, the vaccine checks and mask mandates. But there was another rule that went into effect yesterday that had all sorts of different reactions on social media. And that's the fact that uh, there is now a no bag policy, really, if you're going to any events there. I think you can take a clutch or a like a small, maybe a fanny pack might be the way to go. But there's no, I always carry a big bag with all sorts of nonsense in it. And if you had that last night, you were getting turned around. The bag had to go back to your car or find a locker for it. But you weren't allowed, you're not no longer allowed to bring purses, essentially, big purses into games. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb in our next segment. We are going to tell you how you can win Beat the Box Office tickets for a concert we are going to announce at 9.05. And we'll give those tickets away just after 9.15. Also a reminder, Backyard Bullseye with Winnipeg Vinyl Fencing continues this week. We have one qualifier. We need a second qualifier. Congratulations to Frank Walter, our week one qualifier. Your next chance to play and maybe get yourself in on the chance to win this $5,000 prize, which we're giving away next Monday. We're doing that today at 8.50. But right now we want to continue the conversation on something we touched on earlier. I mean, it's something which has created controversy pretty much everywhere it's been implemented. That's bag policies at sports and entertainment venues. Yeah, so way back in 2013, I'm going to take you, I can't believe that's eight years ago already, by the <laughs> no way. No kidding. Yeah, the NFL implemented its clear bag and large bag policy. Uh, this from the NFL website, prohibited items include, but are not limited to, purses larger than a clutch bag, coolers, briefcases, backpacks, Fanny packs, cinch bags, seat cushions, luggage of any kind, computer bags and camera bags, or any bag larger than the permissible size. That permissible size is at NFL venues, 12 inches by 6 inches by 12 inches. So fast forward to this past weekend as the NHL returned to the ice for preseason games. And the first post I noticed on social media Friday night was in reaction to the Edmonton Oilers posting their new policy at their home arena. And then Saturday evening and into yesterday as Winnipeg Jets fans reacted to posts about the almost exact same policy coming into effect yesterday at Canada Life Centre, Loren. 
Yeah, so this, again, is around the bag policies that are now in place there. Before, you could take your purse and go into the game, and mine is a big one. I, I'm i going to guess it doesn't meet the cut right now, but Christina Litz is the chief brand and commercial officer with the Winnipeg Jets, and she joined Kelly Moore on the pregame show to explain what was going on last night. The other big message I want to uh, leave is leave your bags at home. This is a new policy this year, uh, and, and I'm telling you it's liberating to come without a bag. <laughs> so so bring your credit card and your and your photo ID, which you'll need with your, with your uh, proof you of vaccination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, but otherwise leave the bag at home. Just to quickly recap then, uh, the no-bag policy for coming into the arena for Jets home games. And this isn't just for tonight. This is a a season-long policy, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the policy for now if things change. Sure. You always <laughs> want to keep, we have the CanadaLifeCenter.ca website, and there's a health and wellness section that will have all of the information up to date if you're not sure. So this is the policy world, word for word. For your safety and expedited entry into Canada Life Centre, bags are restricted to clutch or wallet-sized bags, smaller than 12 by 6 by 3, which will undergo contactless security screening. Bags, backpacks, purses, totes, clear bags, fanny packs, and camera bags are not permitted. I had said earlier maybe fanny packs would work, but no. Fanny packs are also on the list of things you cannot bring in. They are making exceptions, guys, for guests with medical uh, conditions or if you're, if you're bringing your kid with you and you have a diaper bag. And media are also on the list of exceptions. They're, you're being asked to enter Canada Life Centre at Gate 1 which is Portage and Donald, or Gate 2 for X-ray screening. And so that, I think, in part, this is about speeding things up because they have to check the QR codes and they have to check IDs. And, of course, COVID might be part of it. But I feel like this is just a way to get things going more quickly. But, man, there was all sorts of people weighing in about, you know, what about fem- feminine hygiene products when you need to bring them? Those don't fit in smaller clutch bags once you throw in your phone and your wallet. And and if you don't have a little purse... It is even, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, I hate not having a spot for my phone and my wallet and my keys, at least. That's one of the, one of the only good things about uh, when the weather gets colder. Jackets, pockets. Right. right. <laughs> I, I, I hate that I have to wear a parka, but when I do put on a parka, it, it, it always feels so luxurious because I have all this extra room. Because <laughs> that's the first thing I notice when the jackets come off. It's like, ah. Oh, where am I going to put all my stuff now? I got to wear a pair of shorts. Sometimes I don't even have a back pocket, just a side pocket. So it's like, ugh. Sometimes I need a European carry-all, Greg. <laughs> yes, but uh, that European carry-all not going to work for you at these games. And, uh, you know, liberating, I, I suppose, this isn't anything that really is an issue for me. And so, Loren, I really don't have much to say about this other than... This feels as though it's creating issues for certain portions of the population. Is that fair to say? Yeah, like it depends on where you're at in your life. So I mentioned feminine hygiene projects. Yeah, you can fit those in a little clutch. You might have allergies that allows you to, you know, you might need medical uh, stuff to bring with you. So there are some exceptions. You might have an inhaler that has to go into a bag. You know, your kids might have an inhaler plus an EpiPen plus other things. So there's, you know, I think there'll be accommodations made, but it's something I think you're just going to have to think of before you go. And I think it was hard for this first game if you're, because there were some people who were also upset saying, hang on, you're making a lot of assumptions here. If I show up there tonight and I didn't know about this bag policy and you're saying, take this back to your car. Well, lots of us take the bus or walk to the game or don't want to leave our purse in the car, quite frankly, in certain, you know, parking lots in the city. And so that was, I think, part of the anger or at least frustration is perhaps a better word because uh, they people were just learning about it over the last 48 hours. Going forward, it's just something you're, you're going to have to plan for. 
But I do, I, I like to have the bag because I like to carry my nonsense. What if I do want a fishy cracker from the bottom of my purse at <laughs> second intermission? What if, guys? All joking aside, fishy crackers aside, is this something that's workable in your mind, Loren, or do you think it needs a little bit of a tweak? I think it's going to need a bit of a tweak, but I also think we have to have some patience and figure out how we're going to do it as fans, whether you're a hockey fan or going to a concert or anything else. It's just something you're going to have to wrap your head around. Because as you mentioned, it's in place in a lot of venues. A lot of big venues, a lot of sporting events. It's the, We're not the first. We won't be the last. Maybe some room for compromise there. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Kelly Moore, Jets Report coming up at 6.55. We have a concert announcement at 9.05. And we have tickets, beat the box office tickets for said concert to give away. And it has to do with what we're about to talk about right now. The long lineups to get into the Jets game last night. Let's talk about lineups. Tell us a story about waiting in line. Like what's the longest lineup you've ever been in or the longest you've ever stood in line? Ever stood in line in minus 30 to get into the bar? Like uh, say, Zach's on Jefferson. I remember running across the street parking in the overflow it's minus 30 we all left our jackets in the car because we knew the coach jack would be full and we stood out there for like 45 minutes uh you ever camped out to claim a good spot in line or earliest you've gone to the movies to get a good spot i don't know tell us a story for a chance to win 204-780-6868 let's go around the horn here Producer Jeff Fortier, welcome back from vacation, sir. Let's start with you. Oh yeah, you know it's one of the worst places for lineups, Disney World. Oh. It's it's just terrible, I'm telling you. And there's this one time my family were waiting in line for a, a a ride, and there there were these two kids behind my dad, and I kept going up behind my dad and tapping him on the arm, and he's getting mad. We're waiting this line, so you know you get a little frustrated. My dad's getting so mad, and I keep tapping him on the arm, not knowing it's me. He's thinking, it's these kids behind him. And I swear he wanted to deck these kids. Like he, he, was, he was looking at them very angrily. Finally, he realized it was me, and we all laughed it off. But I'm telling you, I thought he was going to freak out on them. If you kids can't keep your hands in you, to yourself, we're going to turn this car around. <laughs> yeah, basically, That's yeah. it. Back to Winnipeg. <laughs> oh, he was furious. Uh, how long were you in that line? Do you remember? Oh, God. It's probably uh, at least half an hour. That's for sure, because those lamps are like half an hour to an hour long. But uh, we were in there for a a while so he, he was not happy in the first place yeah amusement park lineups i've waited over two hours to, to get on a roller coaster that honestly was the ride took 15 seconds <laughs> so yeah. it was like wow that was a long wait for a very short time but what a thrill uh loren what about you well it won't come to surprise to anyone that because i'm late for a lot of things i miss out <laughs> on a lot of lineups and i think that that is part of the reason why like i like to get to the airport just in the nick of time so I don't have to deal with the long lineup at the gate. I don't understand people who on the plane stand up as soon as it pulls up to the stairs because they now want to stand in line in the aisle of the plane. So I just, I genuinely hate lineups. And I actually think, I was thinking about this the other day, the one thing I hope doesn't go away post-COVID is the distance. I don't understand why we were crowding so much to begin with in a lineup, whether at the cashier you know, you can feel someone's breath on your back. Like, Ugh. why were you so close to me two years ago, let alone now? So I hate lines just for the crowding. And I get it. People feel like, it's like you feel like if I just move a little closer to this person in front of me, I will be at my seat four seconds earlier. And then wonderful things will happen in those four seconds. And so I hate lines. I'm late for a reason. That's my excuse. There. <laughs> Deal with it. 
Mine's also an amusement park ride. It was the Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios in Los Angeles. And the ride is housed in this big building, and the lineup's outside this building. So my dad and my sister and I get in line, and we're in line for an hour. And you get to the door, and we went inside only to find another room with a line the same size as the one we were just in. <laughs> so that was a second full hour in that lineup. And we get to the end of that lineup, and you go down some stairs, and I got it real excited. Oh, here we go, only to find another holding pen area with another <laughs> hour-long wait. It was three full hours we waited in line, but at least the ride took about 15 minutes uh, to go through. So it was. I, I thought it was worth it. My sister thought it was worth it. I don't think my dad thought it was worth it. And my my mom had been waiting outside the whole time, and oh, she no. didn't know what happened beyond the door. So she was like, "Why you guys were gone for like two and a half hours after you went inside the building?" She oh, was boy. just baffled. But that that was the weird, the longest lineup I've ever been in for anything. But it was very much worth it. It's it's the dads that are most impatient. Yeah, especially when it comes to lines. <laughs> yeah. Is is it Disney World where they do that? Not just the pen, Ron, or but they had that lineup. Like you're, if you're standing here, you were about an hour and change away from the front. Or if you're standing here, I've seen yes. images like that. Yeah, yeah. Disney yeah. puts that, yeah. the signs. They let you know typically, but they're yeah. masterful at hiding the lineup so you don't feel like you're in the same lineup right. that entire they're time. Tricking you. Oh, there's yeah. lots of trickery going oh, on. Then, then you go in the line and it says, "Oh, it's only 45 minutes." And then uh, when you're halfway through, it says, "Oh, something's happened now. It's an hour and a half." And it's nice when you have the fast pass, and then you know you feel like a big shot, and you're walking. Oh, you're the past, king. You're, you're walking past everyone in line. You're just like, <laughs> see you suckers later. <laughs> you totally feel that way. Okay, we got 90 seconds to get through Mackling and Poitras. Greg, go. Uh, Van Halen, 1991, Calgary Saddle Dome. I went and stood in line. I was in line a total of 13 hours to get the best tickets overnight. Halfway through the night, somebody realized that if we went to Sport Check in Southwest Calgary, there's a shorter line. That worked out very well, but uh, one of the all-time fun overnight campouts uh, of my lifetime, and I got really sweet seats. Portress? Uh, I go on vacation to stand in line, whether it's in Europe or I go to Disney World or anywhere in my life, that's what I do. I go on vacation and I stand in line. You just go on vacation and stand in line. Well, that's, I always go to places like I go to the Vatican, stand in line. British Museum, stand in line. <laughs> Disney World, stand in line. I go to Nashville, uh, to go to Hattie's Hot Chicken, stand in line. You can't get away from it. <laughs> Hattie's Hot Chicken. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so spicy, though. Worth the wait. Uh, so tell us a story, 204-780-6868, about waiting in line. Could be whatever you want. The longest you waited, the longest line you've ever seen. Um, I was in Houston, Greg, and we were in line to get into the uh, Fan Fest. It was when I went for WrestleMania. And this line stretched for what felt like three kilometers. Oh, it was my just, word. It, it was fast moving. But when I saw the line, I thought, oh, my God, this is nuts. <laughs> so tell us a story for a chance to win. <laughs> Uh, the beat the box office tickets for the concert we're announcing at nine oh five. I thought you meant Houston's Brandon, like the bar, and I was like, "Oh, you were in a lineup at the Brandon Bar?" <laughs> no, well, there have been some lineups at Houston's <laughs> over the years. Don't don't fib. <laughs> in the meantime, there is more than enough work to go around these days, but in many industries, Greg, just 
not enough staff. That's true enough, Brett. We've heard a lot about this from the restaurant and hotel industry in particular over the last few weeks. Over the weekend, the meatpacking industry also said it is, uh, too, dealing with a labor shortage, and they use the term crisis. Skilled trades are struggling. Same with the airlines. Last week, I shared a story about I was needing how I was needing to speak to uh, WestJet Airlines about a flight change, and they had to give me an appointment. I thought it was 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. It ended up being 7 o'clock on Saturday evening as I was sitting down to a restaurant reservation. <laughs> 36 minutes on the phone later, I had my issue all sorted out, but I ha- I daren't ignore the call because I didn't know when I would be able to speak to them again. So I took advantage and got my issue sorted out. So that's had us wondering if they were just simply busy or understaffed, Loren. Yeah, just so out of curiosity, I reached out to WestJet and they said they were in the midst of recalling 4,000 people, but... They added that retraining is part of the issue. They want to retrain people to get them back to work mode. But they also acknowledge, like many industries in this country, that it too is facing continued issues due to labor hiring challenges as a result of COVID-19. So Matt Earhart is the managing partner with Summit Search Group here in Winnipeg. They're a professional recruitment firm. And we've got lots of questions about what's going on. Hello, Matt. Good morning, everyone. Curious what kind of calls you're getting these days. Who are you hearing from? Well, to be honest, we're, we're not hearing a lot from candidates, but we're hearing a lot from companies, companies that we perhaps have never done work for before that are really struggling to find good people and talent uh, in this market. You know, I think that uh, confidence in the market has really um, increased with uh, the vaccine and with everything going on that uh, a lot of people are who had put up hiring before and looking to get back to kind of the busyness of before the pandemic are hiring now. So, uh, Matt, is this exclusive domain of service-oriented organizations? Does this go all the way up the organizational ladder in terms of shortages and and looking and needing and trying to find good people? Well, I think that, uh, you know, skilled trade and, and, you know, restaurants and things like that are obviously going to be affected. But, you know, our work is more focused on professional, uh, you know, management level positions and above. And we're seeing it. Um, by far in that area as well, too. We're finding that, you know, there's just a lot of candidates um, and uh, that, you know, are not necessarily looking to make a change unless it's, um, you know, unless it's really worthwhile for them. And so we're finding that, you know, it's a challenge. Competition is pretty, uh, pretty hard to get. Are there opportunities here for people looking for a career change? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of opportunities. And when I when I look back, you know, at the last year and a half or so, we we used to do a lot of sales recruiting, and that sort of dried up during the pandemic. There wasn't a lot of sales recruiting going on, um, but now that's that's ramped up, and we've got you know five or six uh, you know sales positions right here in Winnipeg that we're working on, looking for young junior candidates. And so there's definitely opportunity for people, and uh, but candidates are a bit reluctant to make a change at this time. So what's behind that? What's you know? I, I wonder, Matt, is it a bit of a whiplash? You know, over the last year and a half, there's been a lot of concern for for people's employment and wondering if they're going to have a job in two, three, four, five months time. And so I, I wonder if that's part of the issue. Is there a fear there of saying I want to stay where I'm at because I don't want to make that change? I think so. And I think like that. You know, when you look back at how companies handled um, sort of their retention and and just their business during the pandemic. Um, they, you know, a lot of candidates were, you know, maybe some were happy about it, some were not, um, but some, you know, are maybe indifferent. But, you know, to make a change right now, 
they don't know what a new company is going to do for them, if it's going to be better there or if there's going to be other challenges. So I think there's there's definitely a bit of a reluctance, but then there's also a group of candidates who've done a bit of soul searching over the pandemic and realized, you know what, this what I'm doing right now may not be the right thing or may not be what I really want to do. And uh, and some of those candidates are looking to make a bit more of a strategic overall career change. So if I own or operate a, a corporation and I need individuals at any level, what do you suggest is the best strategy? Do I wait for good people to come to me or do I go out and try and lure them away from other businesses where they're doing a good job? Well, I think the first step is really looking at some of the motivations for people to make a change. And, you know, a lot of times people think it's money, you know, it comes down to money. But the reality is money is the fifth key motivator for somebody to make a career change. And so really looking at the overall package of what you can offer a candidate. And so different things like quality of life, um, opportunities for advancement, um, location, all those things fall above money when you're looking at hiring. And so I think if companies sat back and said, you know, let's look at our overall you know, organization or strategy. Um, let's put together a package that, you know, can compensate people well, but also gives them other things that they may be looking for as well, too. Matt Earhart, managing partner with Summit Search Group, a professional recruitment firm here in Winnipeg. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much, everyone. And if you want to weigh in at 204-780-6868, maybe you work in a business where you're having a hard time finding staff, where you're, you work in a business that, you know, you're, you're run off your feet because you just don't have enough coworkers. Feel free to tell us at 204-780-6868, or you can email mackling at cjob.com, mcnab at cjob.com, or brett at cjob.com. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We're asking you to tell us a story about standing in line for a chance to win concert tickets, beat the box office concert tickets for an announcement we're going to make just after 9 o'clock. Dan says, I was in Rome once on Christmas Eve, so a buddy and I decided we would go check Midnight Mass at the Vatican. Not being Catholic, seeing Midnight Mass wasn't a bucket list uh, item, but I figured couldn't hurt. We went for supper, then to get in line. We waited in line for about two hours and had to go through a tighter security check than the airport. I was amazed at the amount of booze that was taken from people. Uh, The guards had cases of beer, bottles of wine, and vodka. We ended up getting a pretty good seat outside and waited about two hours for the service to begin. There was only one sentence during the whole service, but it was something that I will not forget. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. cool. I waited in line to see, well, not in line. We were in the square in Bethlehem to do their Christmas Eve mass a few years ago. My family had come over. And then suddenly at the last second, this guard's like, you, you, you want to come? And my mom is like mid corn on the cob. Like she slides that into her winter jacket pocket. She's like, I will like to come into this mass. And then we get in there and people were eating and having drinks watching the mass. So I was like, mom. Pull out the corn. <laughs> corn. Finish it up. Corn on the cob at mass. Yeah. <laughs> just so random. Just random things, other parts of the world. That's it was just fabulous. such a big crowd. It was hard to control, you know. Like Becky uh, says that I that she waited in line four hours to see the final Harry Potter movie. Tons of Harry Potter fans. People dressed up. It was fun. One of the longer lineups I've ever stood in in Winnipeg was at that Harry Potter festival oh, yeah. that they had at Assiniboine Park. What would that have been? Six, seven, eight years ago oh, to yeah. coincide with uh, the release of, I don't even remember 
which Harry Potter book. It wasn't in the series, right? It was outside the series of Harry Potter books. Oh, yeah. Was it that play or something? I, I'm really going off the cuff here. But uh, that was a fantastic event at Assiniboine Park. But I don't know if they expected the 15, 20, 25,000 people that ended up showing up. Yeah, that was for uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, <laughs> parts one and two. I don't know why that name just made me laugh. It just went really dark. It's like wizards and goblins or what? I don't even really even know. And all of a sudden it's like Cursed Child. Is it, Was it a scary one? I don't know. I, I, I haven't read the script. I haven't seen the show. So I don't know. But keep them coming. 204-780-6868. Stories about waiting in line. But in the meantime, the release of Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou and the return of Canadians Michael Spav or Michael Kovrig has ended a tense chapter in Canada-China relations. Yes, the two Michaels were on a plane home Friday night, Brett, just hours after the Huawei executive boarded her own plane back to China. So on the West Block with host Mercedes Stevenson, Kovrig shared his first thoughts about finally being home after more than 1,000 days of detention in China. Uh, I just want to say thank you very much to all Canadians for the enormous support uh, and uh, all the effort that uh, so many people have made to help bring Michael Spavor and me home. Uh, it was really moving and knowing that so many people knew about the situation, cared about the situation, really helped us get through a very difficult time. That leaves us with plenty of questions on what's next for the two men who are finally back home and what's next in this deeply damaged relationship between Canada and China. Rachel Gilmore is a national online journalist for globalnews.ca. Rachel, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So uh, after years of no movement on this story, it certainly escalated quickly in the end. Can you break down exactly what unfolded and what led to the to Michael's return? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the whole reason why they were detained in the first place was in retaliation for Meng Wanzhou being arrested in Vancouver. Now that arrest was happening because of a, um, an extradition request from the U.S., but uh, just on Friday, the U.S. prosecutor struck a deal with Meng Wanzhou's legal team and they dropped the extradition request as a part of that. So um, obviously that allowed her to go free. And China, um, although they deny that it was in any way related, also subsequently freed the two Michaels within hours to the point that the two planes, Meng Wanzhou's plane and the plane carrying Michael Favor and Michael Kovrig, crossed each other in the sky. It was so crazy. I was saying, you know, after years of just sort of waiting for anything to happen, suddenly it just all went down so quickly. And the reaction at the different airports was fascinating. You had the two Michaels land first in Calgary and then in Toronto. And and they had this reunion with the family and people that loved them on the tarmac. But it wasn't a huge celebration as, as much as Canadians were feeling celebratory, Rachel. But then you look at Wanzhou and there was red carpet and... Flags waving and a full line. I don't know if there's a ban, but it felt very ceremonial. Like, how is China painting the situation today? Yeah, I mean, it looked like a rocked 
star arriving, you know, total red carpet treatment, flowers, everything. She was waving like a, you know, a royal (laughs) doing a visit. Um, But uh, obviously they have been sort of framing it as if Meng Wanzhou has been, you know, arbitrarily detained in Canada, which we know was not the case. It was all uh, legal proceedings. I'm sure if anything, Canada would have preferred not to have had to arrest Meng Wanzhou because it would have saved us a real headache. Um, But that's the way the law works. You don't get to choose what's easy. Um, So China has been framing it, you know, as if Canada did this on purpose and as if she's been languishing, albeit, you know, in her multi-million dollar mansion in Vancouver. Whereas, you know, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, um, they've been locked in these tiny cells in China. And, uh, you know, when they were freed by China, China continues to maintain that the two cases were not related, despite the fact that they moved in lockstep. Anytime something happened to Meng Wanzhou, something happened with the two Michaels. Um, And now they're saying that the only reason they were freed was actually for health reasons. Um, It just happened to happen at the same time as Meng Wanzhou was released. Um, I think that's pretty clearly not the case. They both looked quite healthy arriving on the tarmac, albeit a bit thinner, and uh, definitely looked very tired. Um, But yeah, China is still maintaining that line. Just about 60 seconds here, Rachel. But uh, how has the situation impacted Canada-Chinese relations? Like, is this relationship permanently damaged? Yeah, it's definitely going to take a long time to build back. It really hit the deep freeze when she was arrested, Meng Wanzhou. Um, But, uh, you know... Uh, there's still 115 Canadians detained in China. There's people who had, you know, Robert Schellenberg had his death, had his sentence upgraded to a death sentence after Meng Wanzhou was arrested. And there's been no movement on that file. So there's a number of sort of tension points that could easily kick off between the two countries and will uh, kind of keep things tense for the foreseeable future. Rachel Gilmore, national online journalist for globalnews.ca. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today, and we hope you can join us on Thursday, because September 30th marks Canada's first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. For years now, Brett, September 30th has been known as Orange Shirt Day, a day to honour residential school survivors. But this year, the federal government declared it a statutory holiday. Depending on where you work, that might mean you don't have to work this Thursday. Schools here in Manitoba will also be closed, Lorraine. It's a hugely significant and important moment for Canadians, but it's also a day that has our next guest feeling a little anxious. Michael Redhead Champagne is an Indigenous advocate and leader here in Manitoba. And in his weekly blog over the weekend, he wrote about all the ways Orange Shirt Day will be different this year, including this sentiment, quote, I am nervous that this day will mean that those who aren't personally affected by Indian residential schools will see this as a day off and nothing more, that most of the work required to do the storytelling, the educating, the organizing, the systems changing will fall again to survivors and their families. Michael Redhead Champagne joins us now. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me today. Well, thanks for taking that time. That line really stuck for me about, you know, not wanting people to see this as a day off. Can you walk us through a bit of the trepidation you might be feeling in light of this? Well, I think um, uh, it's a lot of uh, folks is feeling that 
we have a sense of relief that there is a national acknowledgement of the National Truth and Reconciliation Day because this was one of the uh, calls to action. So it is great to see the federal government taking action on uh, truth and reconciliation calls to action. But I think what I wrote about in my blog was how this is going to be a different day this year um, for many different reasons. And one of the things that I thought was always so special about Orange Shirt Days in the past is that uh, schools would often use that day as a moment of education and they would show videos to students. They would talk about um, the origin of Orange Shirt Day. They would mention, you know, they would show videos of Phyllis Webstad, the, the, the young woman, the young First Nations woman who had her shirt taken, her orange brand new orange shirt taken away from her when she went to Indian residential schools. And that's where the origin of Orange Shirt Day comes from. So um, I just feel like um, there's a quote from uh, the Honorable Justice Murray Sinclair where he says, um, so much damage happened within um, Indian residential schools as an education system that, you know, we need that education system to help us undo that damage. And I'm sure I didn't get the quote exactly right, but I just see schools uh, assemblies, um, many students being gathered in one space as a prime opportunity for us to share um, some of those experiences that Indian residential school survivors have had. And it's a great opportunity for education. It's a great opportunity for shared action. And I'm nervous that now that um, folks aren't aren't going to be in schools and it's going to be, uh, quote unquote, treated like a, a, another day off. Michael, it's Greg here. And I, I share your sense that there's been a lot of momentum built within the school system around this day, around uh, the knowledge uh, required and the, and the history and the story behind Orange Shirt Day and, and more and more education uh, being a part of the public school curriculum around uh, residential schools and the devastating history and the stories behind it. So what would you like to see happen instead? That's, you know, that's schools. What about outside of schools uh, in terms of a different way to approach this in your view? Well, I think one of the ways that we can um, look at this as, and what I'd like to challenge our listeners today to look at Thursday as, is not as the National um, Day of Truth and Reconciliation as a day off, but looking at as a national truth and reconciliation day of action. Um, there are 94 calls to action that exist out there. And I'm a little bit sad sometimes when I talk with uh, non-Indigenous people because so few have actually read all 94 calls to action. And so um, what I would love to see is non-Indigenous people on September 30th taking the lead um, on uh, either educating themselves about these calls to action, or even better, um, moving in some type of a system way um, forward with some of these calls to action. Um, TRC call to action number one is to reduce the number of Indigenous children in care, right? So if there's something that you and your family and your neighborhood and your community or your school can do to support families that are struggling with uh, things like child welfare or homelessness, that's something that you could do um, as, as a tangible example. That's TRC call to action number one. And there's 93 others where that came from. I just wanted to jump in quickly, uh, Michael, because I know we have some listeners saying that in their kids' schools and divisions, they are doing stuff this week and they are going to be wearing orange on Wednesday. So hopefully in the school system, it will sort of be treated like Remembrance Day, right? We might not go to school on Remembrance yeah. Day, but the day before, we do all sorts of things within the school system to make sure our kids are aware. I think it's more about 
the workplace and, and, and perhaps, you know, if we are going to work, can our employers put in educational sessions or do something else beyond, you know, we need to take action, but I'm wondering from top down if more can be done. Yeah, I'm happy that you mentioned workplaces because I feel like workplaces do have an opportunity as well. There is a TRC call to action that refers to the private sector TRC call to action number 92. And I'm not reading these. I'm just remembering them, which tells you how much I've had to reread them over and over and over again. And I hope that all Canadians will have that knowledge of the TRC calls to action. But number 92 talks about um, the importance of uh, the private sector employing Indigenous young people. Employment. Right. That's one one way that we can take action. How does your workplace employ indigenous folks? Um, are you having these conversations within your workplace, especially if your workplace um, has some type of a, a system connection to indigenous peoples uh, or that lingering effects of residential schools? Michael Redhead Champagne, thank you very much for joining us. It's a privilege as always, sir. Thank you all for having me, and thank you to all your listeners. And and shout out to all the teachers um, and educators that are out there using almost the entire week as Truth and Reconciliation Week, because I know that there are educators and schools out there that are doing that, and I am grateful. Michael Redhead Champagne joining us live on 680 CJOB. He is an Indigenous advocate and leader in Manitoba, talking about September 30th, this Thursday, being Canada's first national day for truth and reconciliation. And we will be broadcasting live all day on 680 CJOB. It's time for our weekly Monday morning chat about the sportsings. Well, let's just bring on Bob Irving onto the line here. Good morning, Bob. Morning, you guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, it was a terrific weekend if you like sports and for so many other reasons. I'm going to start uh, with this, Bob. I'm prepared to be wrong on this. Okay. I'd love your reaction to yesterday's uh, NFL record 66-yard field goal from Jason Tucker. I guess there's no chance Tucker's coming to the Blue Bombers, huh? Uh, I don't think so. No, okay. he's pretty good, though. He's yeah. pretty good. Not bad. Okay, so that aside, bouncing it in off the crossbar. Now, I know in the CFL you can bounce a kick in for a field goal or a kicked convert off the upright, but mm-hmm. is the crossbar a dead ball bar on a kick? No, it's not. Can I quote Mr. Mackling from the CFL rule book? I knew you would. Article 13 of the CFL official playing rules. By the way, I didn't have to look this up. I knew it, but I'll read you the official explanation. If the kick ball on a field goal or convert should strike the goal post assembly, okay? It doesn't say crossbar or upright. The goal post assembly in flight and then proceed through the uprights above the crossbar, the score shall count. So if a a field goal hits either the upright or the crossbar, but goes through, then it's good. And it's the same in the NFL. Very good. Okay. I love, I love being wrong. It happens all the time, so I'm used yeah. to it. Now, you talked about the – I know I heard you earlier talking about the Fajardo pass. If a passed ball or a punted ball hits the upright, it's a dead ball. Right. Oh. Upright, crossbar. Yeah. Any part of – did you say the scoring apparatus? It says the, uh, what do they call it, the uh, goalpost assembly. So they're talking about upright or crossbar. All right, goalpost yeah. assembly. I'm writing that down in my uh, 
uh, terminology uh, locker here. Okay, so before we get to the Ryder Cup and the absolute beatdown the Americans put on the Europeans at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin, two very good football games in the CFL Friday night in particular, in my opinion, the battle between Saskatchewan and, and BC for second place in the West. Now, Bob, uh, I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings, but I confess to seldom watching entire CFL games, which don't include the Blue Bombers, but... I could not turn off that Lions-Riders game, a stark contrast to what we saw Wednesday night in Ottawa. Yeah, well, it was, you talk about going from the sublime to the ridiculous. The the game in Ottawa was just brutal, and those of us who care about the CFL had a hard time watching it. I I had to leave it in the fourth quarter. I just couldn't stay with it anymore. But the two games on Friday you're talking about, Toronto beat Montreal 30-27. to They're the two best games of the year, I think, in terms of competitiveness and right down to the wire. And then Saskatchewan beat BC 31-24. Cody Fajardo drove the riders the length of the field in the last uh, couple of minutes, and they got the game-winning touchdown, and uh, and away you go. Or Actually, yeah, they got the game-winning score. Uh, and so they're 5-2. and two. The riders are 5-2, and two, and there they are nipping at the heels of the Blue Bombers again. And I think uh, a lot of people felt that when Winnipeg swept those two games with Saskatchewan here a few weeks ago, they'd kind of put the riders down in the pack but no no they're still right there at five and two the bombers are six and one now saskatchewan's schedule is tough they play most of their remaining games on the road starting this weekend in calgary against a stampeder team that will be absolutely desperate to win but uh yeah they were outstanding games and uh, we look forward to more of the same this weekend starting on friday when the bombers visit bc Got to switch to the Ryder Cup. Now, Loren, uh, Jim Toth was uh, suggesting on Friday that uh, you're going to be glued to the television this weekend. Uh, did you take in some of the Ryder Cup? Yeah, when it's 25 degrees and gorgeous outside, the first thing I want to do is go inside, turn on the TV, and watch an international tournament that features only two continents. Or I'm not even really sure how this works. So the answer is no. No, I did not. But I get people like it. I didn't watch it either, Loren. I was because I was busy golfing myself. I was at Kingswood a couple of times over the weekend. But Bob, I was checking in on updates on it, and the competition itself, like not even close. Americans dominating the Europeans in this uh, unique biannual event. Final score nineteen to nine, the largest margin of victory in the modern history of this competition. Plenty of discussion surrounding the behavior of the massive crowds. It's a lot like more like other sporting events. Uh, you could argue rowdy by any measure, Bob. So, do you like that, or is it? too ungolf like well they were rowdy for sure and they are every year in the Ryder cup whether it's in uh, the united states or in europe uh, you know the the matches go on all day there were fifty thousand people on the course on the course at whistling straits in wisconsin uh, and they're encouraged almost to be rowdy by the actually the golfers themselves get the fans riled up with some of their gestures and you don't see that typically in a pga tour event this is a very unique event and the Europeans have dominated it in recent years, despite the Americans being the favorites. Now, the Americans were the favorites again this past weekend at the Ryder Cup, and they came through big time. They have the best players. The, the U.S. team has the best players. There's no disputing that. Uh, they have most of the top-ranked players in the world on their team, and they delivered a real drubbing 19-9, to nine, uh, Brad, as you said, over Europe. So it's, it's un-golf-like in terms of the way the fans behave. But again, it's a... It's a unique event which encourages that kind of behavior. They hope they keep it civil 
And I think for the most part they do. But you actually hear some booing. I mean, they booed some of the European players when they were introduced. Or if they missed a putt, they would cheer them. And in normal golf tournaments, you don't hear that sort of thing. But again, it's the Ryder Cup. And, uh, you know, as the day wears on and the Michelob Ultras keep uh, going down, uh, people just uh, lose their sensibilities a little bit. And it's one of the things, and I, one of the things that makes the Ryder Cup unique. And I, by the way, Loren, I watched quite a bit of it. Well, no one mentioned it was like Happy Gilmore. That didn't get sold to me in the pitch. So now that I know it has a bit more boisterous behavior to it, I'll have to check it out. But if we can, just want to ask quickly, Bob, you're busy watching all sorts of things this time of year. We had the Jets back on the ice last mm-hmm. night. Of course, the Blue Bombers returned for the second half of the season after their bye week. We got baseball going on. Like, how do you, do you got a schedule? Like, a, does your, do you have it organized on the calendar to figure this all out and where to sleep in between? No, I just basically have no life. You know, I get up every morning and I kind of figure out how I'm going to, you know, fit everything in that day. The PVR is a wonderful thing and you can record stuff on there and then you catch up with it later. The the line of the morning for me was when Paul Maurice said uh, after the game last night, the Jets game, he said, I walked out toward the bench and I could smell the popcorn. And he said it was like we were back. The fans were there, but I could smell the popcorn. And I thought that was just a beautiful way to sum up the fact that Fans are back in NHL arenas in Canada. That's fantastic. Speaking of arenas, Tom Brady played in his 45th different stadium of his career yesterday. Absolutely mind-boggling to me, uh, Bob. A loss in Los Angeles to the Rams and that uh, stadium, SoFi Stadium in L.A., looks incredible. Brady returns to Gillette Stadium to face the Patriots this coming weekend. I'm positive this will be the most discussed story in the NFL this week. Agree or disagree, Mr. Irving? Oh, I agree. I was going to say, do you think there will be any hype surrounding that game as Brady goes back to New England for the first time to take on Bill Belichick? And some of Brady's uh, support team had some negative things to say about Belichick during the last week. So for sure, that is going to be uh, a game that's hyped right through the roof. It's on Sunday night. I guess uh, they'll have a huge television audience in the United States. And, you know, if you're a sports fan and a football fan, but just a sports fan, uh, that will be must-see viewing on Sunday night when Tampa Bay's back in New England. Bob Irving joining us live on 680 CJOB. Coach, show tonight? Yes, 7.05 to 8. I'll check in with Mike O'Shea as to uh, how the Bombers look when they return to the practice field this morning and get set to visit the BC Lions in a big, big game on Friday night. All right, Bob Irving. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. All right, don't hit the upright. <laughs> okay, Bob joins us every Monday just after 8.30. And, hey, uh, we mentioned CFL football. We mentioned an NFL football. Got to give a shout-out to our friend Pete, G-Mac, from the pub. He was oh, up at Australian, 4 Australian rules football. The Australian grand final. The Melbourne oh Football gosh. Club defeated the Western Bulldogs for the first time. They won their final for the first time in 57 years. Yay, See, 29 Bulldogs. years was not a big deal. <laughs> What's that? That 29-year Grey Cup drought, that was no big deal. <laughs> 57 years. Uh, Australian football is fun to watch. I have no idea what's going on. But it's one of those games that I turn it on and I can just enjoy it because, <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening here, but it's pretty Every cool. Every time I watch rugby, I do the exact same thing. Like, just when I think I've got it sorted, no, I'm nowhere near <laughs> understanding the rules. But I love watching it.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have a concert announcement. Feels good to be able to do this again. Coming to the Burton Cummings Theatre, February 7th and 8th, Canadian rockers Billy Talent. Woo-hoo! Takes me back to my early to mid-20s. These guys have been rocking for years now with special guests and fellow Canadian bands Pup and No Bro. No Bro, by the way, that's an all-female punk band. They're awesome. Tickets go on sale Friday, but we've got Beat the Box Office tickets all week right here on The Start. Their new album, by the way, Crisis of Faith, that's going to be released on January 21st and includes the single End of Me, which features Rivers Cuomo from Weezer. So that's pretty cool. When I saw that video a couple weeks ago, I thought, how did that happen? Who cares how it happened? It's a That's a great collaboration for those guys. <laughs> so we're going to give away our first pair of tickets in our next segment based on your text messages on waiting in line. And why are we talking about waiting in line, GMAC? Well, first of all, I got to ask, like, uh, no, bro. Like, do you have to say it with a little bit of attitude? Like, no, bro. Oh, I like that. I, I wonder. I'm just curious. Uh, maybe What's the name can... of your band? No, bro. No, bro. Uh, last night, the Winnipeg Jets returned to action at Canada Life Centre with a near-capacity crowd to witness the first preseason game of the 2021-22 season. The Jets have made some additions to their lineup, which, of course, have fans and the so-called experts expecting big things from this club. Loren, it was off-ice changes at the venue and lineups to get in the building, which had folks talking last night. Yeah, so joining us now is Kevin Donnelly, Senior Vice President of Venues and Entertainment with True North Sports and Entertainment. Hi, Kevin. Uh, good morning, folks. How are you? We're good, thanks. Before I get into the question about bags and lineups, I do want to just say we had a listener just text to say it was so nice to go to the game and feel a little bit more normal last night. Brett just mm-hmm. talked about how it was nice to do concert announcements. How was it for you and, and just that feeling and energy back in the ring? Well, it was it was emotional. It was incredible. It was really great to just be back doing what we what we've chosen to do for a profession. And and so I think you know we 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 deliver lineups. We're acknowledging that I, the the mood coming in was so good. I really think the majority of people gave us a mulligan last night. You know they were just so thrilled to be in the building. So we do have changes in mind and in store for the coming games. Um, but yeah, the lines were were long last night, and we're going to make some changes to adjust for that. Greg referenced just a bit of the off-ice chatter, and that was to do with that bag policy. So what's, what is this about? Is this a COVID thing? Is this a just trying to speed things up? Because now you're, the rules are basically don't bring your, your purse. You can maybe have a clutch, but that's about it. That, that's about it. It's, you know, a 3 by 6 by 12 which is a large clutch. It's a very, very small purse. Um, you know, it's a combination of COVID. We're not looking to touch and, and, and get into people's personal belongings. But it's also still it's driven by security. And the NHL is very, very rigid on their security policy. So the no-bag policy really is a very small hand clutch, handbag. Uh, anything that's 3 by 6 by 12 is acceptable. But beyond that, you'll have to check it or take it back to your car. Is the bag policy the same at, at, say, the Burton Cummings Theatre, for example? I think we are going to follow that. We haven't totally made the decision on that. We want to try to make it easy and consistent for the patrons. We're, we're following the model across the NHL. That's the same size and, and, and limitation that every NHL building is following. So I think we likely will adopt that for the BERT. Um, you know, bag check is, is something that we we can do there as well. But uh, we're trying to make it consistent for, for the audience to understand what they can and cannot bring to to an event. 
Kevin, I know you're aware. I, I, I see you at games. You're up in the 300 level. You are circulating on a regular basis. I know you don't hide in your office during events. So I'm sure you must have heard some of the pushback on this with regard to feminine hygiene products, those that uh, might have to carry an EpiPen, other things that maybe someone like I, like I deferred this entire conversation to Loren because it doesn't affect me in any way. I come with my keys and my, and my cell phone case, which can contains my wallet and I try not to bring anything more than that. What have you heard in terms of the concerns and have you got an, an, an answer to those? Well, I think that the main thing is education and we're trying to get that word out that again, three by six by nine can accommodate most things. There are exceptions for medical, uh, medical equipment and diaper bags and things like that. So, you know, we're trying to, bring a reasonableness to, to the regulations that are imposed on us by the NHL. And, and it's something that with education and with our staff understanding, well, it's a different size, but it's, it's or a different shape, but the same size. So a fanny pack is different than a clutch. But if it's three by six by nine or by 12, we're going to let it in. Uh, and there are exceptions for, for medical requirements and things like diaper bags and that sort of thing. I really hope that doesn't mean we'll see more fanny packs in the future, but I digress, Kevin. <laughs> I, the, Fashion the, statement. <laughs> yeah. The lineups, of course, you know, again, you mentioned it's the first game and we're just getting back. It's been a long time since we've had, you know, people doing all sorts of things. And so I went to a Bombers game and people had to get mm. used to going a bit early, right? Because you have to show your card and your code. And so what's being done to address the lineups? Are you going to open any earlier on Wednesday? Yes, we are going to open 90 minutes early. You know, it's it's sort of a first world problem to see people arrive early. And, and, and so we, we didn't have a huge crowd come, you know, prior to the COVID uh, situation. You know, 60 minutes was ample back then. I think people took into heart the, the notion of a second security check. So we are going to open 90 minutes early for the remainder of the preseason, likely into the into the regular season. Um, and we're adding some manpower. We're moving some, some things around. Um, we don't like to see people wait in line. We, we were timing it. It was about 18 minutes at the peak for someone to arrive and, and get through the door. So that's, that's too long. We can do better than that, and, and we hope to do so by Wednesday. Kevin Donnelly, Senior Vice President, Venues and Entertainment with True North Sports and Entertainment. Thank you very much for joining us, Kevin. Always a pleasure, sir. It's so great to hear that uh, that, that concert announcement with uh, and my name. My, I'm losing it. Who, who do you Billy know? Talent. Billy Talent, yes, that was it. So anyway, it's good fun. Great to be back. Is All there right. another concert you want to announce right now, Kevin? <laughs> well, we've got you oh, here. I've got a couple that go, but that one, uh, that was good to hear. <laughs> right. you got to yeah. come here first for them then, okay, Kevin? Right oh, okay. to the airwaves. We'll do, yes. <laughs> we've actually got another concert announcement tomorrow, apparently. So, Kevin, <laughs> I, I, we, we don't know who it is. Yet. Yeah, we don't know <laughs> who it is. It. Be tuned in, <laughs> eh, Donnelly? <laughs> oh, I will, for sure. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, a reminder that in 30 minutes' time, the first ever Connecting Winnipeg with Hal Anderson. Coming up after Global News at 10 o'clock. And before we talk more about labor shortages and the CERB, we must declare Loren the victor in the texting contest. We had a story from Ikea, waiting in line in Ikea. We had one about a guy from Gord. Uh, he went and waited, slept on the street so he could get into a job center and try to apply for a job. Ended up putting an ad in the paper, and that got him the ad. But who is the winner? Well, we... <laughs> 
I think the pitch went for the wife, not so much for this husband. Simon had the story about waiting in line and opening day at Universal Studios in Florida for a Her- the Harry Potter. Uh, it was nine and a half hours total, I think, they waited. Uh, three hours for a different ride. His wife is six months pregnant. It's 32 degrees Celsius in Florida. Then his wife gets denied because she's pregnant. He has the best day of his life. And I just said, we need to give these tickets just so... The wife gets something here. I mean, it's no trip, but she's, but it's, it's a trip, uh, to hear some pretty great tunes. And so Simon is our winner. I also have to say, I enjoyed how Simon voted for himself <laughs> by texting to say, your winner has to be Simon. He's a great guy with an even greater wife. So I, Simon, I don't know about you. But your wife does sound pretty special. <laughs> and yeah, and Greg, you, as you pointed out, almost unanimous on the text vote on this one. It was no contest. Yeah, a couple uh, votes for the IKEA story, but uh, I, I'm starting to feel uh, self conscious. I'm wondering if this was more of a vote about uh, Loren versus the two of us <laughs> or Simon's story. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight, I don't they think. They didn't want to double cross the pregnant wife, even though I'm sure that baby's come and gone ages ago. And they don't want to double cross me. I was angry for oh, right, 20 so- minutes. Ago. That's all it is. Simon, congratulations. You're going to see Billy Talent on February 7th at the Burton Cummings Theater. In the meantime, are you looking for a new job? Are you still waiting to go back to work? Or maybe you're thinking about a career change. We keep hearing over and over, Brett, that there really is more than enough work to go around these days. But in many industries, there's apparently not enough staff. And and this has made headlines, not just in Canada, but right around the world. The fact that we've had restaurants talking about struggles to hire frontline staff. Uh, Over the weekend, we mentioned that the meatpacking industry said it's dealing with a labor shortage crisis. And it's looking for changes to migrant worker rules because it wants to bring in more people. Airlines are in the process of recalling and hiring thousands of call center staff and all the rest that might have been laid off during the pandemic, Greg. And so lots of opportunities, some might say, out there. Yes. And so we spoke about the challenges that's presenting in various industries. You outlined some of those, uh, Loren, including sales, even management jobs. At 707, we spoke with Matt Earhart at Summit Search Group, a recruitment firm here in Winnipeg. He says he gets lots of calls from businesses, not so much from prospective clients. Our work is more focused on professional uh, you know, management level positions and above. And we're seeing it um, by far in that area as well, too. We're finding that, you know, there's just a lot of candidates um, and uh, that, you know, are not necessarily looking to make a change unless it's, um, you know, unless it's really worthwhile for them. And so we're finding that, you know, it's a challenge. Competition is pretty, uh, pretty hard to get. So there are jobs to be had, but that doesn't mean everything is rosy on the job front. Sandra Guevara Olguin is with Community Unemployed Help Centre here in Winnipeg. Good morning, Sandra. It looks like we just lost her, uh, GMAC. Just as uh, we were, just as you were calling her name, I looked at the at our phone bank here and. There's no one there. And then I <laughs> turn the intercom on Jeff, and he says, we just lost her. So he's getting her back on the phone right. Uh, right now. Let's see. Do, do, no. Oh, having a hard time reaching her. Oh, okay. so. I'm going to send him another number just uh, uh, just so he knows that there's other ways to reach her. She, You know, who knows? Cell service in this. We know wherever you are in this city. Sometimes it can't be ideal. But bottom line, I am really curious to hear from Sandra because we have a situation here, I think, where it, it feels like there's lots of stuff going on out there that people can find places to be hired. But I don't know if that's always the case if you're looking for a job or if you're waiting for your employer to bring you back. You know, are they bringing you back as you planned? Are they paying you the same salary? 
that you might have been paid at before? And so I think those are some of the questions we have to ask, not to mention, Greg, the various programs that are in place. Well, you know, um, uh, without uh, speaking about anyone specifically, but I did have a discussion on Friday night about someone in our circle who's got several kids. She's not working right now. And part of that reason is, Brett, because if one of her kids gets sick... They have to stay home from school. There's like a no gray line this year. And so that's causing issues for her in her job prospects. So Sandra, thank you for joining us this morning on short notice. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Sorry, the cold drop. I don't know how. Good morning, everybody. Do not apologize. Technology's let us all down at some point in the last 18 <laughs> months. So what calls, uh, kind of calls are you getting? We were wondering if, if CERB is an obstacle here in terms of preventing people from going back to work. Like uh, there's some perception out there that CERB is just so good that w- people don't want to go back to work. Well, yeah, and that's a perception, right? And a misconception, I would say, because... First of all, I don't know if uh, a lot of people know that CERB uh, was um, cut back to $300 a a week instead of $500 as of uh, July 18th of this year. So it was, you know, reduced uh, significantly as of July 18th. So people are just getting $300 minus taxes um, per week. So that is one thing. Uh, second of all is that, yeah, you just mentioned that childcare is a problem because right now people that don't have the flexibility has to stay home. Like myself, I was just notified yesterday that my kids have to self-isolate until Friday. Thankfully, I have the, uh, a job that uh, allows me to work from home until Friday in a short notice. People, many people don't have that. So it is, it is, we're still in a pandemic, regardless of, of the great vaccination numbers that we, we do have in Manitoba, we are still in a pandemic. So workers require flexibility. And unfortunately, many workplaces don't, cannot offer that. So that is another problem that, that it's not part of the discussion sometimes. Um, and, uh, and, and yes, there is an, a, a, a group of people that, that, yeah, like they are still making more on CRB than what they would be making on the part-time job that they were having prior to the pandemic. And yes, employers are having problems staffing. What we are seeing at Community and Employed Health Center is people uh, calling saying, well, we have had not a lot of calls, but some calls of people Uh, concerned about the vaccination requirements, for example, right? Uh, When when the school year started, we started uh, uh, getting calls from educational assistants uh, concerned that uh, they were being uh, required to vaccinate and they didn't feel comfortable about that. Uh, We explained to them, well, well, yeah, there is no, nobody can force you to vaccinate, right? But there was this testing requirements. Uh, if you uh, wish not to vaccinate. And they were still uncomfortable with that as well. And uh, from our perspective, we say, well, you know, unfortunately, it's one or the other. And so nobody can force you to vaccinate, but for the safety of others, you need to get tested frequently. And unfortunately, that time won't be covered. So if you don't want to get tested, that could be grounds for you not to be allowed in the workplace. 
And unfortunately, there's not much we could do about that, right? If you are denied EI, for example, because we are EI advocates. So there are so many things in play right now. Um, Sandra, however, can I jump in? Uh, sorry, yes. we, we only have about a minute left, I, yes. but I just wanted to quickly ask, what are, like programs, are there still programs in place for people who were laid off during the pandemic? Uh, well, uh, yes, like we're still on EI, right? Today, the new, uh, the new changes start as of today. People still can be on EI. Uh, they will require 420 hours across Canada to qualify for either EI regular or ER sickness benefits. Also, if the EI claim is expiring and people don't have new hours on EI, that they can renew their EI, they can go to CRB at least until October 23rd when the CRB officially ends for everybody. Uh, So there's still that in place for people that have not been able to go back to work at all. They can do that as well. So it's available until October 23rd, the, the CRB, and the new Uh, The new changes for EI start today, 420 across the board. It's not 700 and 600 as before the pandemic. It's 420 until September of 2022. It starts today. All right, Sandra Guevara-Olguin with the Community Unemployed Help Centre. Thank you very much for joining us today, Sandra. Thank you for calling us. Okay. Have a good day. You too. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Normally we would visit with them once a week, Wednesdays at 8.37, but now we're going to be checking in with him daily because Connecting Winnipeg with Hal Anderson starts right after the 10 o'clock news. Hal, good morning, sir. Good morning, Triple M. It is an honor, a privilege, a pleasure to follow you today for the first time, and I look forward to doing it every weekday. Thank you for having me. We're excited, man. How are you pumped? Mm. You must be pumped. Listen, the first show is going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible, <laughs> and then downhill after that. Just, yeah, just... you got to have a right out of the gate. Well, sure. Go, yeah. Did you get yeah, any sleep I... last night, Hal? Like I know with a yeah. career, like a move like this. Yeah. You know, you got to be excited. Butterflies, kind of thing. Well, butterflies for sure. Uh, slept fine. Up very early. I think I was up at three or three thirty <laughs> oh, no. this morning. Yeah. I mean, that will change. You know what? It's just getting used to it, right? Because keep in mind, you know, my day uh, started. I was always an early riser. I was usually up in time to hear you guys at six. Here's uh, hear Jeff's newscast at six. But yeah, so it's just an earlier start, and you've got a little less time to get things together, right? I'm used to starting at twelve thirty, not ten o'clock. But listen, it's it's going to be fine, and um, we're going to start. Connecting Winnipeg with me, Hal Anderson, in a very cool way, courtesy of producer Kyle, Kyle Milroy. A Milroy montage will kick us off here, so I think you guys are going to enjoy this. I I said to Kyle, here's what I'm hearing in my head. What do you think? And, of course, Kyle came through. So we'll start it that way. Lots coming up on the show today. You guys have been talking about uh, jobs. I'm going to talk with a a career coach about, um, and her phone is ringing off the hook since the pandemic. A lot of people are looking to make a change in their career, not happy doing what they're doing. Uh, so we're going to talk to her on the show today. On the weekend, our Clay Young talked to um, uh, Shelly Glover and Heather Stephenson both. If you missed that, I'll share some of the audio with you. And then we're going to talk with Susan Thompson, Winnipeg's first and only woman mayor. And can you believe it has been almost 30 years 
and we have not had another woman mayor, but we will have a woman premier. We know that for sure. And so uh, we're going to talk to Susan Thompson on, uh, Thompson on the show today. And Global News anchor Lisa Dutton. Uh, Carolyn Klassen will join me on Thursdays after the 1130 News. Cyrus Dirksen after the 1130 News on Fridays. And Lisa Dutton is going to be my regular guest on Mondays after the 1130 News. She was at the hockey game last night. Jackie and I checked out a movie for the first time in almost two years, and I want to talk with Winnipeggers and Manitobans about that today on the very first edition of Connecting Winnipeg with me, Hal Anderson, coming right up here. I'm looking forward to it. Hal, I've been listening to this radio station for 45 years or more, and I can only think of one, two, three, four other people that have hosted this time slot on CJOB. Mm-hmm. Peter Warren, Charles Adler, Richard Gluche, and Jeff Courier. This is quite yep. the honor, my man. It absolutely is. And uh, and I'll pay tribute at the start of the show uh, to them. And uh, listen, I, I, hope, I hope I hold this job for as long as uh, they have. And I, it's, it's just... Uh, it's a big deal, man. Greg, you get it. You're a radio fan. Like you've always been a fan. Not that you know, Loren and, and Brent don't get it. Uh, Brett don't get it too. But it's this is a big deal for me. It's it's an I am speechless when I think about the opportunity. No so pressure, just, eh? No pressure at all. None at all. That's what um, I was thinking. Oh my gosh, you just had to. It's like he's going on the ice, and you're like, by the way, you know who yeah. else was out here? And you named like Gordy Howe <laughs> and Gretzky. And, you know, yeah, and you'll, you be, know you'll be fantastic are, in their shoes, Hal. You really people are people are used to my mediocrity. I can't wait to get started. <laughs> Connecting Winnipeg with Hal Anderson coming up after Global News at ten o'clock. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.